Welcome to the American Railroading Podcast, brought to you by the Revolution Rail Group, live from the great state of Texas. We'll discuss a wide range of topics related to the railroad industry, from regulatory items and the challenges our industry faces, to passenger rail excursions, and recognizing U.S. Armed Forces veterans in our industry. Join us as we educate, entertain, and explore the world of American railroading. Here's your host, industry veteran, Don Walsh. Hey, that's me. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the American Railroading Podcast. I am your host, Don Walsh, President and CEO of the Revolution Rail Group, the anchor sponsor for the American Railroading Podcast. And folks, you did it again. You have crushed expectations with downloads. That's how we're graded, by the way, as a podcast, is how many downloads we get, especially in the first week. So as of right now, we're averaging eight times the average download for the average podcast, which is absolutely incredible. So thank you guys so much. We absolutely love you, and we're glad that you love what we're, we're giving you in content. We're going to continue to do that. Also, some of you have asked me, how can we support the podcast? Because the podcast is free, right, for you to be able to download it and to listen and to share and please continue to share and to download. Um, so we've created a little something that I think is pretty cool. So if you go on our website, and you're probably on our website now, or you should be, so go to AmericanRailRoading.net, and you'll see a little yellow coffee cup in the left-hand corner. And that little yellow coffee cup, you just click on that, and it's literally, buy us a cup of coffee. So you can buy one cup, three cups, five cups, ten cups. They're $5 each, and that will go to help support the podcast. So if you do want to support the podcast, don't feel obligated. But if you'd like to do that and you're able to do that, please feel free. There's now a way you can do that and become a part of our, our support team, which I think is pretty neat. So then we've also received your feedback that you want to hear more about education, training, and technology. And we're going to talk about all that today. And amazingly enough, it's all going to be included with one guest. So I think you're going to be incredibly impressed with what we go over today because it's going to be a lot of good stuff. And talking about the, the education, training, and technology part, when I became a plant manager of my first full-service rail car repair facility in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, many years ago, it seems like yesterday, but it was many years ago, um, and to explain what a full-service repair facility is, so not every facility can do every single thing, right? There's different certifications for every little thing you do. So this particular facility was able to do literally everything, including rail car cleaning, kosher cleaning, interior blast, exterior paint, valve repair, valve rebuild, um, all those things. And for all different rail car types, because not every shop can do that either. So this could do all cars, including tank cars and wreck repair. And so I got a call on the radio one morning that said, hey, boss, we got a wreck coming in. I said, OK, great. So I'm looking out the window to the inbound track because that's where I expected it to come in at. And I don't see anything out there. The short line wasn't bringing any cars in. So it was about break time in the morning and the food truck was about to arrive. And those of you that work in the field, work in the shops, we love our food trucks. So <laughs> we wait for that, that alarm to go off and we make our way to that food truck. I don't care how tired you are, what you're doing, you make a break, you run for the food truck. So I did that, went outside for the food truck and I see this massive semi coming in behind it. Two of them, in fact. Both had rail cars on the flatbed trailers behind them. And I didn't realize that a damaged rail car can be brought in by truck. I always thought it would come in by rail. But obviously, if the wheels aren't uh, capable or the truck set that we talked about in a previous episode aren't, aren't in a condition to be able to move the car through interchange, then it has to be brought to us somehow. So it's brought by truck. So if you can just picture, these things are huge, right? The average tank car is 65 feet long, 19 feet high, weighs 93,000 pounds empty, 268,000 pounds loaded, 
right? And then when they make an impact on one another, that commodity inside sloshes. So then you've got all that energy moving also. Uh, and so that's why you see some of the damage that you do. And that's what I was looking up at this monstrosity on top of this flatbed that we're being asked to bring back to original condition. It was mind-blowing to me how twisted some of the components were because these are big, heavy, sturdy, strong things. And so what went through my mind was, surely there's a resource out there somewhere that is capable of providing, housing all the data, right? Doing a bunch of testing, figuring out how the impacts um, affect our components and the rail cars themselves. One of the rail cars had a side impact on it and provide education and training to that, uh, to those, to that data, to that information. But I didn't know what the company was, if there was a company, but surely I figured there must be one. Well, many years later, I went to work for a, a Fortune 50 rail car lessor. And one of the things that they allowed me to do was to start going to conferences, which I really hadn't done before. And I was at a conference with a gentleman that got up on stage and started talking about a company called TTCI. I never heard of TTCI before. And now they're MXV Rail. And uh, he started doing a presentation and a video, which I love videos. Um, he's providing this video of a crash test, and it was a side impact test, which is what I had seen years ago on this wreck that came in, which was the side impact. And it was really so amazing to me to be able to see the, um, the data that they had gotten and the education and training they were providing as a result. So I was just enamored with TTCI, now MXV Rail. And I am pleased to announce who our guest is for today. So our guest today is Carrie Gonzalez. She is president and CEO of MXV Rail, formerly known as TTCI. It's based in Pueblo, Colorado. And her background, folks, is just, uh, I, I'm just amazed at what Carrie has done in the industry. And it's all through um, one company, which you never hear of anymore, right? She spent over 20 years with the same organization. She has a bachelor's in science degree in mechanical engineering from Colorado School of Mines. She has her MBA in strategic management from Regis University. Carrie's career, as I said, began in the real car industry with TTCI as a college intern. So she literally started while she was still in school, working her way up from the ground floor over the last 20 plus years with roles including Senior Engineer 2, Level 2, uh, during which time she was also the inaugural candidate for the TTCI Railroad Exchange Program, spending a year at BNSF Railway's headquarters in Fort Worth, Texas, as a visiting rail professional. She was manager of Equipment Engineering Committee and the Internal Research and Development Program Manager. She was Assistant Director of Software Services and Internal Research and Development. She was Director of Software Products and Testing Services, Director of Strategic Planning and Business Services. I'm going to need a drink of water to get through all this. <laughs> Director or Assistant Vice President of Business Development. I'm sorry, Business Finance. Uh, Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. And last but certainly not least, Gary became President and CEO of 20, in 2021 of TTCI MXV Rail, where she has spearheaded the company's transition from TTCI to MXV Rail. She's also received several awards and recognitions uh, due to her accomplishments and achievements in the industry, including in 2014, she was selected as one of Progressive Railroading Magazine's Fastest Rising Stars. She has authored and co-authored over 25 industry publications, 
Carrie is currently on the local Parkview Hospital Foundation Board. And last but not least, she is the Education Chair for the League of Railway Women Board. And with that, Carrie, welcome to the American Railroading thank Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's exhausting to think about this. <laughs> it doesn't feel like 20 years, but man, you just laid it all out there, all the work that's gone into this 20-year career. <laughs> <laughs> and it is impressive, to say the least. Uh, absolutely unbelievable. So is there anything that I missed that you would want to share with our yeah, audience? I think you did a great job of kind of demonstrating my work background, but I think there's the other half of, uh, of Carrie Gonzalez, and that's being a mom and um, wife and, uh, you know, the personal side of it, that's always uh, it kind of hides behind some of the things that happen in the industry. But nonetheless, it's an important element because I do get a lot of support from my family to be able to do all those things that you talked about. So <laughs> absolutely. So what made you decide in the railroad industry, especially at such a young point in your career as an intern? Well, that's actually a funny story. And I kind of go back to the day I was born. Um, and I, I kid with people and say that I was destined for the industry. Uh, my dad spent a brief, very brief time uh, working for the BN out of Walsenburg, Colorado. And the day that I was being born, he was actually sent out for a derailment. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that I think that was the start of the energy for me being in rail. I will tell you, though, through my high school career, I did not have any intention of being in railroading. Uh, frankly, I loved chemistry. And so as I started my journey at Colorado School of Mines, I was actually going to school for chemical engineering. Uh, one of my passions, though, is coaching and whether that be uh, through my organization now. But at the time, I was coaching little girls basketball teams for my old high school. Um, I know you don't get the feel for my size, but I am fairly miniature. Um, but yes, I was a big basketball fan and I loved coaching. And so uh, on a trip up to a basketball camp with one of the dads, he said, I know somebody, I think they do internships in Pueblo. And I said, certainly, like, I'm, I'm open for it. Just so happened to be TTCI at the time, uh, did an interview with one of my great friends and mentors, Dave Kakovic, and um, started an internship that summer. I probably spent about a month and a half uh, working at the TTC for TTCI. And I fell in love with railroading. I fell in love with all things mechanical and went back to school, changed my major to mechanical engineering. And, I, you know, you laid out the rest of my story. So, <laughs> And it's impressive, without a doubt. And we actually have a mutual friend who was also involved, I believe, in your internship. We, we, we lovingly call him Mayor McDubbs. So if he's if, if he's if he's listening, there's your shout out, He's my friend. A great guy. <laughs> <laughs> without a doubt. And now, so the company was originally called TTCI Transportation Technology Center Incorporated, uh, which I believe began operations in Pueblo, Colorado in 1998. Is that correct? That is correct. We'd done research as part of AAR's research arm um, beginning in the early 80s, I believe it was, and formalized as TTCI in 98. So you got that. Thank you. Very good. And there was a name change from the company in the company from TTCI to MXV Rail in 2021, which included a location change, although still in Pueblo, Colorado in 2022. And I would imagine that there's been a little bit of con confusion perhaps in the marketplace, which would be totally understandable, the name change and the location change. So um, could you just tell us what, if anything, has changed, what's remained the same? Yeah, so there was quite a bit of confusion uh, in about the middle of 2021 on what the circumstances were going to be for the future of TTCI at the time. Um, and it was really important for us to make a distinction between the facility, which is the TTC, and the company TTCI. 
uh, that had done a lot of great work at that facility. And so that's why you saw the introduction uh, and rebrand to MXV Rail. I do have to just take a moment to be a nerd because that's just who I am. Um, MXV really was rooted. We worked with a lot of internal and external stakeholders. It was really rooted in our desire to reinforce our commitment to moving the industry forward. So mass M times velocity is momentum. And we feel like that's what we've always provided. And that name is going to carry us forward uh, into the next iteration of our organization. So looking at that, you know, we were really happy to be able to retain majority of the talent that we've built up over time. I think that's probably one of the biggest industry investments in knowledge um, and, and centralized knowledge. And so it's very important to retain that knowledge. Uh, so we've moved about, you know, we're, we're still around 250, 275 people in our organization. Uh, those people are continuing to work seamlessly through this transition and, and working at our new facility. Um, for the most part, we haven't seen a significant change in our capabilities. We did make sure that we were extremely strategic in terms of what we were rebuilding because the TTC is still a great asset for the industry, and I expect that there's going to be a lot of work done there. So our focus was really on the needs uh, to support the work that we do for the industry, and that meant to be able to have some track infrastructure, uh, we do have an impact well. I know you mentioned it in your opening uh, about the impact studies that we've done. I use impact, not crash. <laughs> um, but we, we do have those facilities. And again, we have a lot of the laboratory uh, facilities that we used to have. So at this point, we've moved about $100 million worth of assets from that old facility to the new facility. Uh, we've been operating at the new facility since November, uh, October, but really our tracks have been operational since November of last year. Uh, we have all of our training elements that we used to do for first responders. So really what you should expect is, uh, you know, I would say a more modern look at what TTCI was and really an empowered organization in MXV Rail, ready to take the industry to the next level and into the future. That's amazing. And uh, yeah, and I'll get to the, the fact that I was able to see all that here in just a minute, which is really neat. So MXV Rail is a subsidiary of the Association of American Railroads, or AAR. And for those that aren't familiar with the AAR, it's an industry trade group representing primarily all of the major freight railroads of North America, which includes Canada, Mexico, and the United States. And Amtrak and some regional commuter railroads are also members. So I would imagine that having all of the major freight railroads in North America, including Amtrak, Amtrak and other commuter railroads as a resource is a huge advantage to what you all do at MXV Rail. So could you tell us a little bit about the relationship with the AAR and the advantages that it provides you? Certainly. And I think it really creates a unique look at our organization because we really are the only organization that's positioned in a way to help the industry take these theoretical concepts into implementation. Uh, we do that because we're a third-party assessor, so we don't really provide product or um, anything that would compete in other spaces. So I think that's a really important distinction from what we do compared to the rest of the industry. We really are what I would say is a safe haven in a controlled environment to help people explore their new technology or new developments in a way that's meaningful and well-connected to the industry. So if you want the visibility, um, it's there. Uh, we, we understand the industry because we were born from it. 
We are created for the purpose of making the industry safer, more reliable, and more efficient. And now we like to add the sustainability component for it. So I think what you're seeing on the horizon is going to be a look at how we have the knowledge and capabilities to help introduce some of those more decarb focused efforts and bringing those forward in the industry. So very exciting times, but well-grounded um, organization in and supported throughout the industry. Um, I think one of the interesting things that people don't necessarily know is the level of funding that's um, input by the AAR. And, and that means all of the railroads and short lines that are partners with that contribute some level of funding to be able to have research done. So, you know, this year we're going to be conducting about $13.3 million of research in a wide variety of areas. Uh, this is something that's gone back to the 1980s um, when AAR had started working at the TTC. So it's a longstanding investment uh, and the industry really is committed to becoming safer and more reliable. Absolutely. And boy, what a great resource to have behind you and supporting you. I think that's amazing. And I was speaking of amazing, I was fortunate enough to accomplish a goal of mine, which most people may laugh at this, but I had always wanted to visit your facility. It's just, it, I'm a dork as well as far as technology and um, learning things. I'm always wanting to learn things and taking as much data as I can get. So I was recently at the uh, AAR Tankar Committee meetings in Denver, Colorado, not too far from Pueblo. You were kind enough to extend the offer for me to come visit. And I'm so grateful that you did. And you were able to take the time to visit with me and not just visit with me, but you took me on the full tour of the facility, which was just mind blowing the, um, the scope of it all, the, the, the size of it all. And uh, thank you again for that. And I was able to meet many of your team members who were all very gracious and excited that I was there. We were telling them all about the American Railroading Podcast. Thanks to you, you were actually telling them all about the American Railroading Podcast. And every one of them seemed excited about it. And, and uh, I'm hoping that they're listening right now. So I'm, I'm saying thank you to each one of you for the time you took to meet with me and talk to me while I was there. So if you could take just a moment and give us a brief snapshot of how you would best describe MXV Rail uh who you are as a company and uh, what you do for the industry kind of holistically. How long do we have on this podcast? You can tell that I'm very passionate about the work that we do. Um, I think the best way to summarize what we do is we advance ideas um, by deploying unmatched expertise in a controlled test environment. And that allows innovation, creativity to be able to just flourish within our organization and the industry. So uh, some of the things that I like to point out, one that's mo we're probably most well known for is our strategic research initiatives program that has a high connectivity to our facility for accelerated service testing program. Uh, so we're right now finishing up building out that loop. That was a critical piece of industry infrastructure where vendors of all shapes and sizes come provide product and they're able to monitor it. You talk about data. Um, that is a prime area for data collection. Uh, we have the opportunity in that particular space to be able to run about 140 MGT a year uh, over this particular track. And so we run that, traditionally we run that year round. We've been running it uh, seasonally just because of this transition we've had, uh, but it really does help vendors and suppliers understand product performance in a very rapid way. Uh, so that's one area that we work on uh, from a research perspective. I think another area of interest for people right now is uh, in the training space. 
I am happy to announce, and this is probably like the first big announcement that we'll have. So here you go. You got a first on your, your podcast. Uh, we have established what's called the MXV Learning Institute. It was primarily uh, introduced to house our security and emergency response training center that we use for uh, training first responders in multi-modes of um, surface transportation, hazardous material response. But we also are gonna be working in some workforce development efforts into that particular nonprofit. It's really important for, from our perspective, not only to retain the talent on the engineering MXV rails perspective, but also to help teach people and get people excited about working in the rail industry. And so looking at opportunities to upskill people that might have interest in rail in, in some of the craft positions that have a tendency to be a little bit harder to, to find talent. We're looking at how we might be able to accelerate the learning curve and get people ready to work in the, in the field in the industry. So we're very excited about that. Um, the other piece of our business really is on, I would say, what is more commercial space. So there are a lot of people that have new technology that they're not necessarily ready to release to the world. Uh, we get to work with them in a highly confidential manner. Uh, they can come and design their own tests. It's a great thing about having a test facility is that you're operating in a controlled environment and we get to do things that you don't traditionally get to do in line of road. So when you're thinking about people with new technology that might not understand the, the performance or even the rail application, because we have a lot of people that are bringing products from different industry into rail. So we're able to provide knowledge expertise on the on how it might be implemented, uh, the technical standards that would be applicable, and then also follow through with uh, with that testing and data collection and and submission of, of results and any recommendations that we might have. So if you think about the you know from from idea to implementation, we really are a one stop shop uh, that has and, and we cover such a wide breadth of of items. Right, any we have. Metallurgists, we have civil engineers, systems engineers, mechanical engineers, uh, you name it, I can probably point to somebody that has a degree or background in, in that particular area and being able to apply that specifically to rail is really our sweet spot. Absolutely. And we're going to delve into each one of those aspects as we move forward here. So don't worry, we're going to get into each one of them, which is really exciting. I think it's amazing. Um, we can all agree that derailments are bad. And I truly believe that we as an industry are working diligently to minimize them and, and with a goal of getting them to zero. I don't know that we'll ever get there, but we're, we're doing really well, I think, as an industry now, but we're going to continue to do better. One of the amazing things I saw inside, one of the many amazing things I saw when I was visiting, which is hard to fathom the enormity of until you see it there in person, is you actually have a full-scale derailment reenactment area for training purposes. And I mean, it was just mind blowing to me to, to literally see how how enormous this is, and thank, thankfully you have the space to do things like this. And um, where do those cars come from? Are they donated from the different railroads, or how do you acquire Great. those cars? Great question, uh, because it's been an interesting experience. So one of the things that was great about this move was it was a wonderful opportunity to really assess the equipment that we had and make sure it was in alignment with modern day equipment. We are really pleased with the railroad support that we got. Uh, you know, our board of directors is made up of the chief operating officers of the class ones, plus a couple of commuter and, and other passenger transit agencies. And so through this transition, we made sure to keep in close communication with our board 
about what the state of our equipment was and how we might be able to modernize that, not only for our capabilities to provide better service to the industry as a whole, but specifically for being able to make sure that anybody that we are bringing in-house to train was actually working on the latest and greatest. Uh, so we were fortunate enough to have uh, a couple of the, uh, a couple of tank cars, or more than a couple, quite a few tank cars that were donated. Um, they were in an, another incident in they're shipped our way in Kansas City Southern, uh, now CBKC. <laughs> we got to start getting that rolling off our tongue. Um, was gracious enough to handle, uh, to to make those donations and, and work with us to get those transported to our new location. But I think that's one thing that people should recognize that as we're growing in capability or needing support for different aspects of testing, whether it be commercial or for the research program, the railroads have always been there uh, leading the charge. If you think about the work that was done at the prior facility, I think that we estimated that over $650 million um, in goods and services was provided by the industry to make that facility successful. We are great. We are so grateful that that uh, generosity has carried forward into our new facility. Uh, we've been able to accelerate a bit of our track infrastructure that we had planned in later years because the railroads understand the importance of the work that we do. Uh, and so they were able to donate some additional materials and dollars to be able to accelerate some of the track infrastructure that's being completed this year. So overall, there, there's so many different ways that um, the industry has, show, has shown commitment to, to research and testing and making sure that we are really striving toward that zero derailment future. And it, you know, from my perspective, we're in such a great place to be able to move a lot of these in, in initiatives forward. I think one of the key things that we're focusing on in organization now is how do we streamline that process even further, right? How do we start getting this technology in service in, in a test, even, even if it's in a test environment way and monitoring it as it's in line road to be able to accelerate that process from idea to implementation? One of the questions we hear after every derailment is, is there any training for first responders? And I can't tell you how many times I heard that um, after recent developments earlier this year. And I can attest to the fact that you all provide training for firefighters, which includes HAZMAT training. I saw it take place myself. I actually was introduced to a firefighter from, I believe it was San Antonio, so here in Texas, while we were there visiting. And, and there was a whole bunch of folks. I got to meet your trainers. I got to see your classrooms, which are state-of-the-art folks, I can tell you. Uh, it was a really neat experience. And I believe I heard somewhere that the training is free, at least some of the time, perhaps all the time. Can can you talk about the program and the funding behind it? Certainly. So first of all, CERTSI, Security Emergency Response Training Center, has been in operation since the 1986, I believe is the start date of that. So uh, since that time, you can already see the commitment of railroads for making sure that in the event there is an incident, first responders are well prepared to, to be able to address and mitigate any concerns with the incident. But I think that you know, when you look at our program today, it's it's shifted significantly from what it was in 1986, not only in capability, but also in course offerings. We were really fortunate um, during the 9-11 timeframe, the FEMA established what's called the National Domestic Preparedness Consortium. I will say NDPC from now on because that is a mouthful. Uh, but that consortium consists of multiple um, schools uh, plus MXV Rail 
And uh, through that grant process, we get about $5 million a year to train first responders. So there are some eligibility requirements, but for the most part, firefighters and um, EMTs are eligible for being able to attend the course. Uh, that means that their tuition is paid for, uh, their travel and rental cars are paid for, food while they're here is also um, provided through the grant. Really all the local communities are responsible for is providing some backfill while that individual is um, at the training. So it really is a great, great program. We have about six different courses that we offer through NDPC. And right now we have a capacity of about 2000, maybe a little about 2200 students on an annual basis. So we really are trying to get the word out there for first responders that this training is available out to work with their chiefs and, and communities to be able to get out here. Because as you saw, it's it's a wonderful asset. It's a one of a kind experience where, you know, they are starting in a state of the art classroom, getting a lot of feedback um, and instruction, getting to move into a high bay experience where it's hands on uh, with cutaways. So they understand how a valve operates versus just you know walking up to it and turning you know turning knobs uh, they get to get that fundamental understanding they get to go out into another smaller scale scenario where they're looking at venting techniques and then working in an outdoor classroom in conjunction with that and all of these experiences culminate with a live hands-on experience where they're actually responding to an incident they have a dispatch center that they're reporting to. So they really get not only the hands-on, but the communication that's required. So as they're walking out of this program, they're well prepared to be able to respond if an incident does occur. And I actually have some friends that have been through the program. A good friend of mine, Tim, who's with a fire department in Chicago, has been through the program. Um, since I've been talking about it, since I got back to Texas, firefighters are asking me all about it, including a, a gentleman that's part of the uh, marketing and, and production team here with the American Railroading Podcast. He's also a, a firefighter. So where can firefighters who are interested in taking the training learn more they about it? They can absolutely visit our website. That's probably the best place to start, um, mxvrail.com. Uh, there's a training tab there. If they want to go directly to the CERTSI website, it's www.certsi.org. Uh, that particular website is going to have all the course details and registration details uh, and eligibility requirements. So best place to do that. If not, you know, we're always happy to answer questions at MXV Rail. So uh, you can direct any questions through our website and, and we'll get you get you anything answered on that. Um, I do think it's one other point, just because you mentioned um, people that are attending training. Since 1986, we've trained over 76,000 first responders through our program. Uh, and exciting news for, for me, at least, is that since November, uh, we, we did our last operation at the TTC in June of 2022. We took the time to move. We are up and operational with our first courses in November of 2022. And since then, we've trained over, it's probably over 400 students uh, since that time. So we really are picking up. COVID was a big impactor for these because obviously in-person experiences were a little tough, but we're really hoping to get more people up and training at our facility. And again, it's a great opportunity that, um, great opportunity, great experience. And we hope that nobody ever has to use the skill sets that we teach, but in the event that they do, um, they will be well prepared. Without a doubt. And does someone have to be a firefighter in order to take the training or can anyone take the training? No, yeah, we actually, um, so NDPC has specific requirements about credentials that are needed to be able to um, 
be eligible for the grant, but we do offer open enrollment seats so we can work you through that. Uh, the other piece, you know, we're talking a lot about the rail side, but we also have highway courses um, and pipeline courses. Uh, all of those courses can be tailored. So if there's companies out there that have, you know, five or 10 people that they want specific training on, we do those courses as well. Uh, we can get you in touch with our executive director to help you design the program that's right for you. So there's many different ways to interact with us, but you know, from a first responder perspective, uh, it's probably easiest and um, most financially achievable to use the NDPC grant process. And see, I didn't even know about those other options. So that's wonderful for people that are in different aspects of transportation. Certainly. And I've even I've even heard a rumor uh, that I may be taking the rail training course myself and doing a podcast episode on it. So uh, everybody stay tuned for that. We, we may just be making that happen. Yeah, we're going to get you a little GoPro. and <laughs> Exactly. And there was a, a, a special hard hat, wasn't there, for people? And is that part of uh, what was that? I don't remember what that was about. Was that for completing a certain uh a task or something? Yeah. So we have a smokehouse in on our facility. And so you have to be able to complete it. You know, I, I like to call it like, oh, what are the races? Like the Spartan races yeah. and Tough Mudders. That's like, that's the experience for the first responder. So if you make it through this smokehouse, you get the fancy MXV rail Certsy Eagle hard hat. You and I, maybe you and I can do it together because I, I still haven't, I still haven't gotten there yet. So oh. That's amazing. I think it's on the list now. And Carrie, you also perform testing on actual rail cars. And we mentioned it earlier on side impact scenario. And it's something I mentioned earlier in the in the episode that I saw videos of, which I thought was just absolutely amazing. And it's to either study uh, a crossing incident, derailment incident, uh, and that studies not only the effects of it, but how we can improve on the rail cars from a safety perspective during a side impact incident. So can you tell us more about the process of the side impact testing and the benefit of it to the industry? Certainly. So there's lots of varieties of impact testing that we do. Uh, one, I think that you're probably focused that you may have seen video on was uh, that side impact testing. And that was working collaboratively with FRA to understand some grade crossing incidents. It's very important to understand and, and collect data on the outcomes of those types of incidents so that you can start thinking about preventative measures for mitigating as much of the aftermath as you possibly can. So if you think about those, those don't happen overnight. If you look at that particular program that you probably saw video of, that was probably a culmination of about two years worth of work, uh, starting with a modeling process. So we have a lot of tools that help us understand what might happen prior to going full speed into a, a site impact study. So uh, there's lots of iterations of um, engineering that happens leading up to that. And even just the day of, there's lots of pre-test meetings, um, double checking any of our instrumentation because you get one shot at those things. Uh, so it's a really high stakes environment. And we all, you know, we, I, we feel, I feel like we have the best and brightest, but even our best and brightest get a little bit, uh, <laughs> a little edgy on, uh, on test day, but they're very exciting days um, because, you know, it really is that culmination of a lot of work that goes into it. And then on the back end, being able to collect all of that data, um, condense it down into some meaningful results, and ultimately recommendations to manufacturers or suppliers to say, this is how you can make your product perform better under this circumstance, or as an industry, these are ways that we're going to make um, specification changes 
to be able to improve performance in, in these types of incidents. So I think that's more along the lines of the side impact studies that you were looking at. But I also like to mention that we have a whole other element of our business that's looking at damage prevention, right? So I know that that uh, the, the impacts tests are always very, I'll say glamorous just because it's visually stimulating, but there's a lot of work that we do that is, is really geared at preventing those incidents from occurring. And so one situation that we work on quite frequently is through our damage prevention team. They do a lot of impacts on our new impact track that's looking at how do we secure lading so that product isn't getting damaged in, in line of road. So I think it's important to say that we do all these studies um, for preventative measures, making the industry stronger, helping to give suppliers insight on how to make their products better and and perform in ways that sometimes, you know, it it wasn't expected. Like things things change. And so being able to be on the leading edge of these changes and understanding the implications so that vendors and suppliers are able to incorporate our learning into their product development is a real key driver for our organization. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't realize that about the track safety. So that's really pretty neat as far as the ballast and everything. And a lot of people assume that I'm either a mechanical engineer, a chemical engineer, a metallurgist, simply because I've gained a lot of knowledge over the years that I've been exposed to a lot of these things in the industry, uh, which, as I said, makes me a bit of a, a, a technical dork. And I, I love that. I'm fine with that. <laughs> and as a result, I absolutely love talking. Uh, I love talking with your team during my visit, especially uh, when I got to visit with your metallurgy uh, lab. And, and that, so metallurgy for folks that don't know is the study of metals. Okay. And it was really neat to see, I believe there was a railhead in there that had a problem somewhere on a, on a real rail line that a customer had sent that in and said, Hey, can you figure out where the failure was? And you all were able to use your technology to determine where the failure was and go back, I believe to the manufacturer and say, here's what you need to consider uh, making improvements on so that these kind of things don't happen in the future, which I really thought was such an amazing use of technology, as you said, to prevent problems in the future. So can you tell us a bit about that type of testing that you do? And again, how you feel it helps us to become safer as an industry? Certainly. So we all know that metal fatigues. Um, and when you're talking about the loads, you know, you mentioned uh, that are being carried on wheel and rail, that interface is very meaningful. Uh, the particular piece of rail that you found had a, trend, a transverse defect, and there's a couple of different areas where we work in monitoring defects, understanding the growth of defects. Uh, but on the metallurgy front, we've done a lot of investment to be able to be what I would say is pretty much a full-service metallurgy lab. Uh, we have a lot of the latest and greatest equipment to be able to basically use very high-end microscopes to look at the material properties in each one of these rails. Uh, as we're doing that, again, we're working with the vendors and suppliers of these products to help them learn from the experience that we gain through a lot of the feedback we're getting from industry. Also being able to have our fast track that we're able to put new different types of metallurgies in uh, see how they respond, not only in terms of the wear characteristics, because as you have wheel on rail, it's wearing down. Um, so looking at wear performance, but also internally how they perform. Uh, the one particular defect that you were looking at was actually um, a weld study that was being done. Uh, as a result of that weld study, we're able to talk to the manufacturers about even down to the process, right? So when you're looking at electric flash butt welding, 
what does it look like when the material properties are a little bit different versus, um, you know, something that they may have submitted and how that will reduce the risk of failures moving forward. So there are so many different aspects of metallurgy. And this is where I get a little bit nerdy. Sometimes I think I should have been a metallurgist um, because it was it was one of my favorite parts of my career, I think, was in metallurgy when I was doing a lot of the non-destructive evaluation um, techniques and procedures. But it's it's a great lab, um, and I'm glad you got to visit it because it it our team is so proud of that lab because we've done a lot of work in it. So I'm hoping that more people will get to come visit it as well. <laughs> Absolutely, and we were talking about how I heard an engineer speaking one time about how taking just some carbon molecules out of the TC128 steel that we use on tank cars could improve its strength and. Who'd have thought that removing molecules or moving molecules around could make such a difference? So I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm dorking out a little bit, but, uh, I think it's just amazing work that you're doing that lab. So, um, thank you for doing it. One of the most impressive things that I didn't realize was how much your team invents some things as well to, to help, um, our industry become safer and, and gather more data. So one of the, the, huge things <laughs> everything there was big but this was just this huge apparatus this machine that your engineers created from scratch that tests the wheels and axles while rotating and could you share a little bit about what that machine does um how long it took your team to create something like that and then uh i'm guessing it's the only one of its kind anywhere Yes, you are talking about the Rolling Contact Fatigue Simulator, <laughs> RCFS. And we have all these long, elegant names, and we shove them into quite a few acronyms. So, uh, yes, that particular machine is absolutely one of a kind. And again, that was the the genesis of that was the industry need for a better understanding of that that interface between the wheel and the rail. Uh, and interestingly enough, I was actually, you know, you mentioned the internal research and development portions of my career that that was being built during that time. So I did have a little bit closer hands-on experience with the design and build of that. But um, a couple of our team members worked with MTS, who is a big manufacturer of um, large testing equipment, to be able to design this system to have capability to have a better understanding of wheel-on-rail contact. Uh, the studies that we do on this particular piece of equipment range from wheel studies to rail studies. Uh, we're very excited that uh, I, I actually just heard an update yesterday that we're expecting to have that piece of equipment operational. And you saw the size of this piece of equipment. <laughs> I, I, we're, you know, people think piece of equipment is probably like, oh, you could hold it in your, like this takes up a, I don't know how big, you know. It was the size of a school bus. I mean, it's enormous. Right, <laughs> at least. <laughs> so um, it was quite the feat to be able to relocate that piece of equipment. We've been working with MTS to get that up and operational. And I think we're going to have that back in service in the June timeframe. It's a very important piece of equipment for advancing not only the uh, wear properties of both wheel and rail, but also looking at the metallurgy, right? So as we're running that machine very consistently, we're, we're able to take samples out, study that in our nice little metallurgy lab and be able to have really a cohesive understanding of the contact patch and how we can make things more durable. Um, how are we going to prevent defect initiation? And, you know, how are we going to be? And, and, and then if there are defects that initiate, what techniques and methods can we use from a non-destructive evaluation perspective to identify those before they fail? So there really are so many points of connection and we're fortunate to have the skills, capabilities, and assets to understand every piece from 
you know, the beginning of a life cycle to the end of a life cycle of a range of components in the industry. Absolutely. And it is so impressive. I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's it's up and running because I know it took some time to to make that all happen. Another fascinating program that you have there, your facility, which you've mentioned earlier, is the Facility for Accelerated Service Testing or FAST program, uh, which is a full-scale research, development, testing program aimed at enhancing safety, reliability, and efficiency of high tonnage, heavy axle load, freight rail transportation in North America and around the world. And I took that from your website. I hope you don't mind. And some more, some more information. Yeah, there you go. You're welcome. And some more information I took off the website, which this, I, I, I borrowed this from your website because I just thought the numbers were staggering, but it's really neat. So in 2021, MXV Rail's FAST program achieved a significant new milestone in its freight rail research program, accumulating 5 billion gross tons of freight train loading. Uh, gross tonnage in the rail industry is the total weight of the trains that move through a territory, which includes the cars, the loads that are in them, and the locomotives. This landmark accumulation of 5 billion gross tons over the 2.7-mile loop track is equivalent to taking the current population of the United States, about 331 million people, on a 450-mile train ride. That is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So what more can you tell us about the FAST program? So the FAST program obviously has been around for quite some time, and I think that's one of the most interesting takeaways for this particular conversation is just the overall commitment by the entirety of the industry. Uh, This is not just an MXV rail experiment. This is a proving grounds for everybody. So vendors, suppliers, railroads all have a high degree of interest in performance of products, uh, and, and this is a perfect place to do it. So uh, if you think about what it takes to be able to do that, we're looking at anything from ballast degradation studies, uh, tie performance, whether it be a wood tie or a composite tie. We've even started to have some conversations about some bamboo ties from a sustainability perspective. Uh, you're also ties, fasteners, rail, Every single component that makes up a rail infrastructure or mechanical pieces of the of a train are explored at this particular facility. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned was the accumulated mileage. We did, you know, moving from one facility to the other, it, it's a demonstration of the importance of this particular infrastructure for the industry because there was never a question that this that particular infrastructure needed to move. Uh, it needed to be with MXV Rail because of the work that we have continued to do and, and the outcomes that we've seen. Uh, we've tested frogs and um, that, that have changed the way that, and frogs and diamonds that are changing the way railroads operate and can be more efficient and, and reducing the amount of failures that are seen in in revenue service. So I think it's a really important asset for the industry. It's a very collaborative space and we work really closely with vendors to make sure that we're gaining all aspects of information through the study. Uh, You talked about data acquisition, how the data that you can acquire uh, in a year's worth of fast running is not insignificant. Uh, we're looking at, you know, in some places in service, you'd never even see this amount of traffic over a five-year period. So it's extremely valuable to people that are trying to put products into service that they have this opportunity uh, in this controlled test environment where they can go and put hands-on their equipment in a very controlled environment to make sure that the performance that they projected actually is what they're getting out of it. I think the other piece of it of FAST that I would just like to mention is 
because we were able to relocate a lot of the experiments, we're going to have some experiments that were moved from the prior facility, uh, but we're going to also be introducing new experiments. So in our first iteration, we're expecting to have about 20 to 25 different experiments in the first go round um, using our train that was donated by Union Pacific. We'll be running around, hopefully starting in August timeframe uh, and be able to start collecting that 140 MGTs worth of data for 2023. And so now for non-railroaders, what's an MGT? Oh, million gross tons. So that's, you're running around the the loop. Uh, this loop is a little bit longer than the last loop, but uh, we did make sure that we were working with all of our industry stakeholders to get a design in place, but it'll look very familiar from the prior site. Um, but yeah, you know, we're really trying to focus on achieving that that uh, MGT goal because we feel like that's a great spot to be in from a, a annual accumulation of mileage. And again, for non-railroaders, you're not actually working on frogs <laughs> like you have in your backyard or at the lake you go fishing in. These are actual interchanges of rail. We call yes. them frogs. So I know. I'm just want to clarify, no, no frogs were harmed. were harmed in the uh, production of this data. <laughs> we need, we, I, we needed a little visual over here. Like this is a frog. <laughs> yes. With a little yes. line through it. <laughs> frog, not frog. That's right. Frog friendly rail. Okay. You also have something new that I saw that really blew my mind. Again, I was on the website and I didn't know that you even had this. So this is really neat. I think a lot of folks are going to think so as well. It's a new rail modeling, well, new to me anyway, uh, rail modeling and simulation software system that's available called New Cars, designed to help improve safety in rail. Can you tell us what New Cars is? I think it's wonderful that um, that you think it's new. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's new, new to me. You, but so it's funny story about New Cars. Um, new Cars has been in existence um, probably for about 30 years. Uh, and only because we needed it to understand the dynamics of rail vehicles and how they performed or were certain segments of track. So kind of going back to that era of my software development days, that was one of the key assets for the industry that we needed to preserve. And I say preserve because the original code is written in Fortran. And that may not necessarily mean anything to you, but if there's, you know, people that are in software or engineering, they're going to say, what? <laughs> uh, Fortran was, uh, is quite a, um, it's an old language, but still very effective. And so one of the goals in the probably the last 10 years has been able to migrate that platform into something a bit more modern and more uh, easier to interact with. But the particular piece of software is very important for, from an industry perspective because we can do a lot of simulation prior to testing. So where we can work with truck manufacturers, for instance, that are looking at new truck designs, we can help them first by modeling what these designs look like. Uh, we can put any combination of rail track and vehicles into the system, and it provides output in terms of how the car is going to perform under those conditions. So if there's instances where the rural rail contact might be uh, create a situation where it might be um, there, there might be a propensity for a derailment, we can give that feedback to those vendors and suppliers very early, and they can address that in their designs before they go into production and testing. The next iteration of of what we would do with those manufacturers would actually be do be doing some on-track testing. So they'd bring their components out. We would put instrumentation or data collection systems on top of their components. 
and be able to take data under the same conditions that uh, we modeled using new cars and then compare those to make sure that what our models were saying is actually what happened. Uh, and then again, another piece of validated information that helps the suppliers be able to really refine their products and get them ready for revenue service and also for meeting any technical services. I don't know, we haven't talked about the technical services aspect of what MXV Rail provides to the industry, but maybe now is an important time to talk about that. Uh, the AAR as a whole is um, another demonstration of their commitment to safety and ability is through the standards and specification process. MXV Rail has a team of engineers that manages those specifications and helps the committees that are made up of railroads and suppliers be able to advance those specifications aligned with the technology introductions that, that are happening on a you know annual basis. So it's a really important piece of our industry that probably people don't understand. It's very unique to North American railroading. You don't see it anywhere else in the world. And so there are a lot of standards and specifications that uh, may not be 100% applicable to some of our international customers, but they're very interested in the process and our quality assurance programs that go along with that to be able to help even international organizations create a safer space for them to operate. And going back really quick, uh, you mentioned trucks and the design and testing thereof. And for non-railroaders, again, a truck set is where our wheels and axles and all that are kept. We call it a truck set. And it's got the bolsters, the side frames, the, the the spring nest and all that kind of thing. And that's just, we talked about trucks in the previous episode as well. So I just wanted to clarify that uh, <laughs> what trucks are. You do incredibly in-depth case studies. Now, can anyone contact you to have a case study done? Or are they specifically for members of the AAR? Yeah, so case the case studies that you'll see on our website are actually majority um, for our commercial customers that have gone through the work, you know, whether it be testing or modeling or just engineering consulting with our organization. So if you have a challenge, we are here and ready to help you solve it. Um, or if you're just trying to really create that connectivity from what you've done in your lab studies and your evaluations and get better understanding of performance in a controlled environment, we can help in all of those ways. So we absolutely interact with people outside of just that strategic research initiatives program. But I do think it's important to note that for the work that we do under the SRI program, that information is available through our website. And I don't know if you've if you've stumbled upon that section of our website yet. Yep. We're going to get to right. that in just a minute. <laughs> But I, I absolutely have. And then regarding research, you're about to host the 28th annual AAR research review in June, which will include a facility tour. So can you tell us about the event? And can anyone attend the event? We are very excited for this year's event. Uh, last year, we hosted the event, brought it back to Pueblo. Uh, at that time, we were right in the midst of our transition from the old facility to the new facility. So um, people got to see uh, a little bit of the work that was going on at FAST, but this year we're going to be well positioned to be able to have everybody out to see the hard work that the team has put in over the last 18 months to create a new uh, revitalized facility for testing for the industry. So um, the first day, well, actually there's a couple of things that I want to mention because there is the annual research review portion of it, but prior to that, and this is this is my advocacy to get more people in rail, we do have an early career railroader workshop. This is for anybody in the industry, or maybe if you're just interested in thinking about the industry, uh, to be able to attend and get a really baseline understanding of 
what the industry is and some of the things that are on the horizon for the industry. So we really encourage people that are early in their careers, you know, one to three years, it give them great perspective on the industry as a whole and kind of where we're going from a technology and research front. That's the first day of the events. Uh, following that is the actual annual research review. The first day will be hosted in Pueblo in Pueblo community at our convention center, where you'll get to interact with our experts uh, across the board, hearing different uh, outcomes of their research. So we'll have some opening sessions and then some breakout sessions where you really get to get a better understanding of the research that's going on uh, through the SRI program. The last day of the event is a tour. Normally the tour is very focused on that fast facility, but because we've made this enormous transition, we really wanted to welcome the uh, rail community to our new facilities and be able to explore all of the things that you got to see. You, you kind of got the first peek at it, um, but it, the, the entirety of the facility will be open so that people can see not only the work that we're going to be doing out at FAST and the on-track testing pieces of our business, but also CERTC, the impact wall, and um, obviously the new operations and training center that has all of the state-of-the-art training equipment in it. That's awesome. And how exciting, especially the, the, the section you talked about for anyone new in the industry. I think that's so important. Uh, we talked about um, like a management candidate program in a previous episode. And I think that uh, we can't do enough to try to prepare those coming into the industry for success. So I think that is amazing. And, and again, thank you for doing that. I think that's great. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about the technology that uh, you all have done all this research on. So you actually have technology di digests available and there's over a thousand of them. Again, I, I was astonished and it's based on over 30 years of technology research. So can anyone access this information through the website? Yeah, This is actually new as well. So um, prior to about middle of last year, those technology digests were accessible, but it was for a limited audience and um, they were you, there was a small charge for them. We really feel and, and we worked with our board very closely to make sure that those were available to the general public because there's so much that MXV Rail and formerly TTCI have done uh, that is applicable because, you know, a lot of the components are very consistent throughout our organization. And, and as you get new people in, Maybe they need a little bit of a refresher of work that was done 10 or 15 years ago. So the entirety of the library is now open to anybody. I think we do ask for your name just so we get an understanding or your email address just so we, because we want an understanding of who might be accessing the information. But I think it's important that, that it is a, an available asset and a huge tool. Uh, and, and it's pretty, I think it's pretty easy to navigate. You can search by keyword or subject matter or author. If you, you know, if one of our engineers is your favorite engineer, I have a few, don't tell them. Um, <laughs> uh, you can search by author. So I think it's a great resource for the industry. And I hope that learning is, is really an outcome for that, opening that up to the general public. Absolutely. And perhaps there's even a more modern way to offer the technology to everyone. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what, what some options may, may bring out there. I like that. <laughs> you never know, right? You never know. <laughs> um, 
So you, earlier you spoke about one of your uh, the board members, um, president and CEO of the Association of American Railroads, Ian Jeffries, and he wrote a recent article published in The Hill as an opinion contributor on April 8th titled Rail Safety Requires Clear-Eyed Discourse and Real Solutions, where Mr. Jeffries shared some very positive information and data about the overall safety of the industry and then continued on to say, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I, I'm taking only a section of what he said, but despite these truths about all the good stuff, uh, we also must take further steps, including through voluntary actions and technologies, which you all are already doing. And I think it's important to mention that they are voluntary. Is, is that correct? Absolutely. All of the work that we do as an organization is led by the railroads. Uh, the SRI program on the whole has a committee structure around it where railroads are contributing to you know the things that they're seeing as either challenges for them or things on the horizon and really pushing those things through our program. None of this is regulated, right? It doesn't say railroad industry, you must study these things. And so I think it's another important thing for the general public to know that the investment levels um, in research and testing and technology is high. Um, If you look at the $13.3 million a year that we are using, and that's just the SRI program, I mean, the remainder of our commercial programs are still industry people doing work to better their products and really ultimately reach that zero derailment future. So um, there's a lot of not only um, financial commitment, but also just the time commitment from all of these railroaders to be able to help really take these technologies and apply them in a way that's meaningful for each of the individual railroads. And we're glad, speaking of technology, that you broke some breaking news here on the podcast about new uh, technology that you're bringing to the table, more new technology. So is there any other technology that you see MXV Rail having on the horizon that you all are working on? I think one of the most fascinating technologies that I see right now is is more, I'll say, in the decarb space, but really relying heavily on some fundamental components in, in PTC that were in play, that, that have been put in place over the last 10 years. Um, but Parallel Systems is going to be an interesting company to watch. Uh, it is a organization that is looking at the like automated trucks. So <laughs> how did you explain trucks again? Yeah, that's not not uh, not road <laughs> trucks, road road not trucks. frogs um, to be able to really look at um, bringing more trucks off of, you know, more trucks off the road. And, and putting those commodities back onto rail. So uh, we're going to be doing some testing. You know, that new cars product that you talked about, we're working with them to model that truck and see how it's going to perform in simulation space. We're expecting either later this year or early next year to do some of that on-track testing to see how those um, those trucks are performing in, you know, in a controlled test environment. And then hoping to get those started to be implemented. Again, this is going to be not only making the um, the operations more sustainable, but also, you know, there's going to be the safety elements because they'll have some of the PTC components built into those. So I think that's going to be an interesting technology. This is not something where these trucks are going to be going across the country. These are short hauls. I think they're aiming at around 400, 500 mile segments, but I do think it will be a game changer, especially for, um, you know, those short hauls that have a tendency to be putting more trucks on on our roadways. I think it's a way to get those back onto rail. So we're very excited about working with them. 
And for our non-railroading listeners at home, what is PTC? Uh, PTC is actually positive train control, and it serves as an automatic backup to prevent human error. So it's, a, again, a safety measure that was added over the last 10 years. The industry as a whole has worked really hard on it. And we're very excited to be part of the testing and implementation of that. And now the longevity and leveraging that into what ultimately will be better performance and reduction in human error. For sure. Absolutely. And I know I'm probably going to embarrass you when I say this, but I think it's the truth. Uh, I think you're a shining example of an amazing career that someone could have in the rail industry. Um, what advice could you have for a young person? And and I, I go back just a little bit. I have a friend that does a, a really wonderful uh, job with, with teenagers where he helps them to determine a path forward. And he truly believes that the conversation on a career path really, and letting people know that like the rail industry exists and what opportunities are should start in high school, not in college, because they need to be making that decision early on. I know I, I was thinking about it then. So what advice could you have for a young person that's either considering the rail industry, maybe just entered in the rail industry, or hasn't made up their mind yet, but is considering rail, what what um, advice would you have for them? I think the biggest piece of advice um, when considering the rail industry is be inquisitive. This industry amazes me because there are so many experts um, in, in the things that individuals do. Um, and they're so open about their knowledge sharing. I have not encountered a railroader that wouldn't answer a question for me if I, you know, if I was, obviously, if it's not <laughs> proprietary. But um, I think that this, our railroading community is very tight knit and really thrives on people understanding the industry and being passionate about it. And I've been blessed with a lot of mentors. You know, I've worked, you, you mentioned I worked in an exchange program. I was working at BNSF and I'll embarrass this guy a little bit because he's always poking at me. Um, but Byron Dickey was probably one of the leading um, male figures for me that answered every, even if it was a silly question for me. And that time that I spent at BNSF really helped solidify my understanding of the industry as a whole. Um, but like I said, I mean, I just think this industry is full of people willing to share their experience and their knowledge. So being inquisitive and, and being active in the industry is really important to be able to grow and never be intimidated because, you know, it it, it, <laughs> it can be easy to be intimidated in the industry, especially, you know, being a female. Um, but I have not run into an unwelcoming personality in this industry. And um, I love it. And I'm, I'm so fortunate that I had the opportunity for that door to open to be in rail. Oh, absolutely. And going back to your talking about you're the education chair for the League of Railway Women's Board. So you just mentioned about being a, a woman in the, in the industry. So what is that board all about? If you want to tell us a little bit about that and your role as education chair. So I'm actually the outgoing chair. We have a new one coming in. Um, we just kind of did some rearrangements this year. Um, and so I'm, I'll talk to you a little bit about what the education chair does, but I want to focus a bit more on the League of Railway Women. Uh, this this is a sure. really organization that's near and dear to my heart. I started on that board probably five or six years ago, and um, it was a smaller organization. And I'm so proud of the growth that's been experienced through that organization and the opportunities and education that they're offering. 
I was very excited about two months ago, uh, LRW actually hosted their first um, standalone event. So LRW before had always been an attachment onto another conference or another piece of, you know, rail um, expo. Uh, And so that was our first standalone event. And when I walked into that room, there was probably 200 women in that room, just ready to learn and absorb and learn how to take that next step in their career and be more involved in the industry. And so it made me so proud and very excited for our industry because I do think that there has been a, a great focus on growing the diversity of, of the skill sets and people within our industry. And all of those little things are very meaningful. Um, and, and on the education front, there are lots of opportunities that LRW is presenting through Uh, a lot of webinars that they do. So go visit their website and see um, they're starting to do some standalone events. They always have a large presence at the RSIs and other big, big industry conferences. So um, it doesn't just mean that it's for women. It is League of Railway Women, but we have a lot of men that will attend. And I think it's important for men to be in the room to understand some of the challenges that that we face as women in the industry, uh, because it's a different experience. And so I always say some of my male mentors were some of the best things that happened to me because they helped me get over some of maybe those fears that I may have had or uh, some of those insecurities. So partnering up and being an advocate for your female companion, you know, your female coworkers, it's a really big deal. Uh, So make sure that you're understanding those issues. And again, so proud of that organization and the new board that is in place is going to do great things. And I can't wait to see how they thrive and continue to support them through my career. Absolutely. And it is a great organization. Well, believe it or not, we're nearing the end of our episode together. And are there any other thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience before we go? You know, I kind of mentioned in all aspects of what we do as an organization that uh, our people are just amazing. But I don't want to miss the opportunity to just give them a shout out. Uh, the, the engineers and our transportation and, and operations team, all of the elements of MXV Rail, whether it be our business office to our people operations, It is just a phenomenal team of people passionate about making our industry better. And so I just want to make sure that everybody recognizes that all of the work that you see through these technical publications or conferences that you attend, it's really built on a a knowledgeable staff that's committed to improving the safety, reliability, and efficiency of the railroads. And I couldn't be more proud to be able to help lead this organization through such an interesting time. I do think that we've come out stronger on on the back end of it. And we're just very excited to keep that momentum for the industry. Absolutely. And you could see the excitement on, on your team's faces when I visited. Everyone was excited to be a part of what you're doing. You could feel the energy. You could feel the teamwork. You could feel that everyone truly cared about one another. So that's just my feedback. And uh, again, I want to thank you and your team for having me out there. So where can people learn more about MXV Rail if they're interested in learning more about you? Um, our website is probably the great greatest place to start, www.mxvrail.com. Uh, but we also have a large presence on LinkedIn. Uh, we do a bit on Facebook, mostly on the CERTC side. But um, and I don't think we don't do Instagram very much. So uh, website, LinkedIn, keep keep apprised and come visit us. We'd love to have you. Uh, whether it be at the end or review, or if you want to arrange a different time to come see our facilities and how our team might support some of your goals, we'd be happy to host you. 
Absolutely. And thank you again for your time. It's It's been absolutely wonderful spending this episode with you. Would you be willing to come back on another episode? Absolutely. But maybe next time I'm going to start interviewing you. <laughs> uh, that, that could be done. We, we could certainly arrange something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I hope that we get to more opportunities to share some of the work that we're doing with your audience, because I do I appreciate the following that you're starting to establish. And I do think it's an important platform for our industry to be able to get more information out to just, you know, the non-railroader about what we do. Thank you for saying that. And I'm extremely excited about the podcast and and all of our listeners and followers and the, and the love and support they've given us. And they are hungry for information. They're hungry to learn. And I love the responses that we get from almost everyone that says, at least at some point, I didn't know that. And that's what it's all about to me. And, and I think that's wonderful. So thank you. I think we provide a lot of that today as well. And we're going to continue to provide that in the future without a doubt. Wonderful. So thank you again for joining thank us. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And for our listeners and viewers, please stay tuned for the next episode coming out. It's going to be focused on our armed forces veterans. I promised you we're going to do it. We're going to do it. It's going to be out just in time for Independence Day, which I think is incredibly appropriate. So uh, make sure you stay tuned for our next episode coming out next month. And I also want to take a minute to recognize our anchor sponsor, the Revolution Rail Group. So the Revolution Rail Group is a consulting and brokering firm in the rail car industry. So if you're looking to buy, sell, lease, or sublease rail cars, we can help you with that. Or if you're looking to simply improve upon processes, throughput at your existing rail car repair, cleaning, transload facilities, or you're looking to do merger and acquisition and you need someone to come in and vet the opportunity to see if it is what you think it is. If not, why not? We can help you with that as well. You can reach us through our website at the revolutionrailgroup.com or through our phone number at 844-455-3434. And with that, I say, God bless. Make it a great day. And we'll see you next time on the American Railroading Podcast. Thanks for joining us on the American Railroading Podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on a future episode or want to support or sponsor the show, please visit our website at AmericanRailroading.net. Thanks again for joining us today. And we'll see you next time on the American Railroading Podcast.